0: Okay, uh, this morning we're gonna we're gonna get into uh, a lot of scriptures. I don't know how else to give the word of God, and and so I I pray in Psalm seventeen and verse two, and you pray with me that my sentence would be from His presence, so that the sentence would be His presence, and uh, so in light of that. When I read the scriptures for us in this dispensation of grace, this church age that we are in right now, the height that we have in Christ is brought out in, in the epistle to Ephesians. We have so much to glean from. That's why it says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 that all scripture, all scripture from Genesis to Revelation is God breathed and is very profitable for us. All of it. So based upon that, in Matthew uh, in in Romans 15 in verse 4 and in 1 Corinthians 6:10 and 11 we can as the church right now we can look back and even though those things weren't spoken to us they were for they were spoken for us and we need to know that difference so we don't mix the different dispensations of God. And it's just just simply a dispensation is is a a specific time period where he's prepared for what he has for those people at that time. And then how he deals with them. And of course, he deals with us individually. So based upon that, I I just wanna read some Psalms here. And I'm gonna read a few of them. And then we're gonna see, again, this goes into and I believe that God's going to tie these together like only he can when we've been talking about in Revelation 3 and verse 18 about how God counsels us to buy and the reasons, there, there will be two reasons that we groan. And of course we groan either in the flesh or we groan as being one with Christ in, our, in, in who we are in our proper image and in our very proper image as we uh, begin to grow and as we continue to grow in grace and knowledge. So I just read some Psalms and, and again, this is God, how he's dealing with his people, those that he's already, and these Psalms that we're gonna read, these, these are after they've been led out of the bondage of Egypt, which they were in for 400 years or more, which they couldn't do anything about, they were in bondage and God led them out in one night. Now this is Psalm 42, 42 verse one. It says, as the heart, which is a deer, pants, as, as, the, as it pants or brays. It just is panting after the water brooks. So pants my soul after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and appear before God? My tears, and this is, goes into groaning, my tears, have been my meat, my sustenance, day and night and here, while they continually say unto me, where is your God? Where is your God? When I remember these things, when I remember what they're saying, not what God has said, but when I remember the enemy, Satan, who's the accuser of the brethren in Revelations 12 and verse 10 and speaks through his agents, and many times those are people, And a lot of times they are. Where is your God? But when I remember these things and I forget God, I pour out my soul in me. For then I have a remembrance that I had gone with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Now for us, that's Hebrews 10, verse 25. We don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we do it much more for us. Because how much more do we have in Romans, the fifth chapter, in those 21 verses there? How much more that we have, far more than they ever had. And so it says they, they gathered together with a the multitude. Then verse 5 says, why are you cast down? Why are you, in the Hebrew, bowed down? Why are you bowed down? Oh, my soul, and that's the reason. We get bowed down, and we groan in a wrong way. We groan, and and of course, he still never leaves us nor forsakes us in Hebrews 13, 5. And in Isaiah 30, verse 18, he's always waiting to be gracious. But nevertheless, we we get bowed down, okay? Oh, my soul, my self-conscious capacity. And when I'm thinking that way, this is really, this this is the psalmist. And what is he's depressed? He's depressed. If you're breathing... You've been depressed. (laughs) Oh, my soul, why are you disquieted in me? Where hope you in God? For I will yet praise him. I will yet praise him for the help of his countenance. The Hebrew says, his presence is my salvation. Notice that? His presence is my salvation. Oh, my God, in verse 6, my soul is cast down within me. Then I will remember you from the land of Jordan. And that speaks for us in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises, they are unconditional. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. And so he says, I will remember you from the land of Jordan. And remember, they had to pass through Jordan to get into their land. And that's what he's saying. And, and of the Hermonites from the hill of Mizar. And these are hills. One is a big hill big problems. The one's a little one, mys are. Verse 7 says, deep calls unto deep. At the noise of your waterspouts, all your waves and your billows have gone over me. And what this is bringing out here very beautifully is the fact that before you and I ever went through anything, Christ went through it. The waves and billows of his whole life. And then on the cross where the deep The depth of God's justice and his love had to be met. All those those waves and those billows went over him. And we see that beautifully brought out in Psalm the 22nd chapter. If you read those verses there, where he would cry out in Matthew 27 and verse 46 to fulfill Psalm 22 and verse 1, My God, my God, we never have to say this. Why have you forsaken me? There's nothing ever he would ever say to us ever again because Christ was forsaken in our place. And so deep calls unto the deep at the noise of your water spouts, all your waves and your billows have gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his tender, compassionate, loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song will be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. And here it says, his kindness and tender compassion is with me in the daytime, but in the night, and the night here speaks in the night of his absence, the night of Christ's absence, while he is absent from us, physically, never experientially, never positionally. And he will never, of course, in Hebrews 13.5, ever, no, never, triple salutation, in Hebrews 13, 5, ever leave you nor forsake you. He would have to forsake himself. God would have to forsake his son. And so in the night, he's his song. And what he's teaching us there, and we'll get into other other different uh portions about the song in the night, and for instance in Job. And we'll read that in Job 35 and verse 10. And we'll also read in Psalm 77 and verse 6. He's teaching us and rehearsing us, teaching us and getting us ready to take our place around His throne in Revelations chapter 5 and verses 9 and 12 to sing the eternal song, the song of the Lamb. And we'll all sing that like only each of us can individually. We have this song in the night, but Fact of the matter in the night of his absence, we have a comforter that's Christ in Romans 8 and verse 34, in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, and in Hebrews 9 and verse 24. He intercedes for us, but He gave He sent another comforter. He said, I'm going to give you another in John 14 and verse 16. He's the spirit of truth, he's a, He was abiding in Him at that time, but once He was crucified, He went down. In the grave, not in hell, but in the grave for three days and three nights. Then he went up to intercede and he sent down the Holy Spirit as our other comforter. And he takes our groanings in Romans 8 and verse 26. Two comforters that we have. It's it's bookending us. Taking care of our heavenly position. And as we're on the earth and we're going through, we have a comforter. And it's in the night. Of his song in the night of his song will be with me because he's rehearsing me he's leading me and my prayer unto the God of my life I will say as a result of that unto unto, unto God my rock my foundation that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 16 in verse 18 I will build my church I will build my church upon this rock this rock. And that rock, of course, was the foundation of who he is. And this is, again, brought out in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 24 to 27. And that's what Paul was speaking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11, this foundation that Christ is. And only he can build you and I on that foundation. He never even leaves that up to us, because we can do nothing without him in John 15 and verse 5. Because in us, apart from him, the flesh that's in us, in Romans 8 and verse 9, that we're not of, but we can function. And when we do, what is the profit there? In Romans 7, 18 and John 6.63, there's no profit there, because it's not Christ, and there's no value there. Sometimes, and we groan, and even when, as a result of our groanings, even when there's no value in it, he's waiting to be gracious to us, to bring us into a proper place where we can actually, actually groan righteously. <laughs> groan in terms of waiting. Groan in terms of waiting. And so, it's, he says, the psalmist in 42 verse 9, I will say unto my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Remember? In Psalm 62 and verse 5, my soul waits you upon God. Why? Upon who? Who should we wait upon for everything? God. God. For from him comes my expectation. And that's why in 62 and verse 8 of the Psalms, trust in him what? At all times pour out your hearts to him he's a refuge for us he's a refuge a hiding place a beautiful thing that we have we have him in psalm 32 and verse 7 and psalm 119 and 1 verse uh, 114 he's our hiding place and when we when he's my hiding place i see him as the perfection of my image and i see him in me and me in him i see myself uh, this way And that's why it says in Colossians 3, in verse 3, you died and your life is hid, hidden with Christ in God. And we have this hiding place. And he is is our proper place and our hiding place. And uh, so in Psalm 62, verse 8, uh, trust in the Lord at all times, pour out your hearts because he's our only refuge. He's our only proper place take me out of groaning in the flesh and bring me into a beautiful place of oneness with him and groaning in the sense of just waiting to see him in titus 2 11 12 and 13 waiting for his appearing in two thirteen of titus just can't just so anticipating and a groaning in in this sense of oneness you see in Jesus when he groaned in John 11 verse 33 he groaned because he was identifying with others. See that's proper groaning. It's not occupied with our flesh and groaning about that and we all do and we need to be separated from that in Hebrews four and verse 12 so that we can walk in spiritual uh, warfare forward, having our feet shod in Ephesians 6 verse 15 with the gospel of peace. And that simply means we have peace with God. That's not preaching peace. That means every step that we have when he leads us is peace in the midst of the storm. In the midst of the storm, he's the eye of the hurricane. And then we take up the shield of faith above all things in Ephesians 6 and verse 16, whereby we quench all the fiery missiles of hell, all those lies and thoughts. Why has God forsaken you? Why has God forgotten you? Which he could never do, which he never would do, being the initiator. And so here it says, as, as with a sword, uh, the oppressor, as with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me, constantly saying unto me daily, Where's your God? Where's your God? Where is he? Why are you cast down, O my soul? In other words, why are you groaning? Why are you cast down? Why are you so depressed? And why are you disquieted within me? Well, hope in God, none, none in the self-life. None in the flesh, for I will yet praise him for the health of his countenance and my God. Who is the health of our countenance? You know, in Isaiah three and verse nine, it says their countenance testifies against them. I'll just stop and read that just very quickly here. In Isaiah three and verse nine, the show of their countenance does testify against them. They declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Isn't that true in our day? Sins, things that were in the closet, it com- they're right out in the open. They're completely and utterly right out in the open now. Because they've completely, completely forgotten God. Not that they can escape Him, because you can see that in Psalm 139, of course, starting at verse 7 to 12. Where can you go from His presence? Now, for, of course, for us, That's who we are in Christ. But can anyone truly escape him? Unsaved or not. None can escape him. The show of their countenance does witness. It's a testimony against them. It's a testimony against us. When we're in the flesh, is that the testimony? That we're against ourselves? Because God's not against us in Romans 8 and verse 31. In Psalm 56 and verse 9. He's not against us. He's for us because we're in Christ, and and Christ is in us. And they declare their sin as Sodom. You know, back then, it was out. Everything was out. Sodomites, you know what a Sodomite is, right? Men that love boys, little boys. Tell me, has that not infiltrated certain systems that weren't of God to keep out God's proper order with men and women? in a proper order. We need to keep in mind in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Marriage is is God's choice. and whoremongers, He will judge. Marriage is God's choice. And that, of course, we know in Matthew 5, verse 28, starts with our thought life. Very key. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul. Why? Because they have rewarded evil unto themselves. And they groan. You know, for 400 years, Israel was in the bondage of Egypt. They were in the land of Egypt, type of the world system under Pharaoh, type of the enemy, Satan. And they were for four years in bondage. And even when it says in Exodus 2 and verse 23 that their, their cry went up, their groanings and their cries went up by reason of their bondage. And when you study that in the original, it's not that they're even repenting. Their groaning was the result of what they were going through without a thought of God. But still, he raised up Moses, a deliverer, a type of Christ. He still did it. Unbelievable. Our God is so incredible. And so here we are. We see all these particular Psalms. There's so many of them. But when I get to Psalm 44, here's Psalm 44. We have heard... With our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work you did in their days, in the times of old. Now for us, with the preaching and teaching of the word, we know that in James 4 and verse 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, what is it? Sin. It's just self-consciousness. So I keep God out so I can live for myself. I live in self-preservation, self-occupation. Again, they have rewarded evil evil unto themselves in Isaiah 3 and verse 9. And that's why we groan in the flesh. Because the reward of disobedience in the flesh, the enemy rewards us with what? Evil. So that we become oppressed and depressed. We've all been there. Say you to the righteous that it will be well with him, for they will eat the fruit of their doings. They will eat the fruit of their doings, their countenance, their countenance, and how many times that their countenance or my countenance, which is an inward, uh, the inward truth becomes an outward revelation of nonverbal communication. And here again, it says this, in Psalm 44 and verse 1, we have heard with our, our ears, O God, we have ears, we have a will, we, we know what to submit to and what not to uh, when the word comes. It's no longer ignorance when the revelation has become light unto us. It's no longer ignorance. Then it's an issue of 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23. Rebellion, which is as witchcraft and stubbornness as as idolatry. And so here, what it says here... Is again what works in Psalm 44 and verse 1, you did in their days and the times of old. You see, that's what we're saying, what the scriptures are in Matthew and Romans 15 and verse 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 6 and 11. We learn from the things that we went through, but what that they went through. Here we're positioned in Christ, heavenly, but we're on the earth. Positionally, we're our places in heaven, but we're on the earth, on our way to heaven. But we can learn in our walk the way they learned. To not lust after evil things. That's what makes us groan. A lack of patience in the flesh will make us groan. But He's still waiting to be gracious because there has to be a separation soul from the Spirit as we shared last night in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. There needs to be that separation Can a man receive anything except it comes from heaven? In John 3 and verse 27. And that, of course, is Christ who came down. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 9. He descended. He descended down into the lower parts of the earth, the darkness of Satan's empire, which we're in, but we're not of. He descended down and entered in. And what an amazing thing that is. Only God would do something like that, and only he did. In verse 2 of Psalm 44, How you did drive out the heathen from your hand and planted them, how you did afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword. Notice that? We can't do anything. All the promises in God are ours positionally, but we don't experience them until we submit. And boy, when we lose the sense of his grace, it's evil, it's nonsense, and then we groan in that sense until he comes in, in John 3 and verse 30, he must increase. But I, I, did you see that? But I, that's separated, that's the flesh separated from him. In John three thirty, he must increase. It's an emphatic in the original Greek. It's an emphatic in the Koine Greek New Testament. He must increase, but I, separate, must decrease. And he does both. He never leaves it up to us for a single thing. And that's why his plan is designed to humble us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 and in James chapter 4 and verse 6 so that he can lift us up and see true value in the image that Christ is in each of us in James 4 and verse 10. So, they got not the land, all those promises, in possession by their own sword. Neither can we keep them, can we? We have to be kept by the power of God. We have to be kept. We're kept by the power of God in 1 Peter 1 and verse 5, and that's Christ. We're kept by the power of God. And Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. Christ, the power of God. And when I have power, what do I have? of wisdom, because power is the authority of his love that never changes. And it gives me great wisdom to walk through this earth and not settle down, take me out of a wrong groaning, no sense of grace, and bring me into a proper sense. And then I can groan with him in identification. In John, again, as we mentioned, 11 and verse 33, for others, and that's what we, we know and we've been taught, all of us, and we need to continually be taught in the Scriptures, how that it is God, that is God Himself that does this. It is God Himself that does all of this. And so it says by, we did, they did not gain possession of that pro, all those promises by their own sword. Neither do we. It has to be the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6 and verse 17. And many, all of us are born into conflict. Listen, we all are, even the unsaved. But it's a much more intense warfare for us that are in Christ because the intensity of the warfare has to do with the intensity of the height in the heavens that we have. And that's brought out again in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 17. And then it enters into prayer. For others in and six eighteen, and then prayer for those that God uses in six nineteen of Ephesians, and so here what we see here again is this: it wasn't gotten by their own sword. Neither did their own arm save them. Their own sword, isn't the, isn't the word Christ Himself the sword that does the separating through the power of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians and in Hebrews four and verse twelve, and it's the sword of the Spirit. And I can't take up the sword of the Spirit, meaning he can't take me up and be my offensive and defensive weapons. I can't do it unless my will is submitted. Again, in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, it says, But separated from that, in Psalm 44 and verse 3, Separated from that, it is your right hand. Who sits at the right hand? That's opposition." We see it in Psalm 110, verse 1, scores of other scriptures. Scores of them. In, in Acts the second chapter, in 30 to 35, we see it there. It scores of them in Hebrews 1 and verse 13. In Hebrews 12, verses 10 to 13. He's at the right hand, and he holds those stars, us, each individually, in Revelations 1 and verse 20, in his right hand. And the right hand is, is the Father's absolute perfect satisfaction and rest about what Christ, his son has accomplished in us and us in him. And so we see these things in such a beautiful way. And so it says, but it's your right hand and your arm. Is his arm so shortened that he can't save in Isaiah 59 and verse one? Nope. Who is his arm? The arms in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. I love how it says that in the Hebrew. When we think we've hit the bottom, when we're cast down, when we think it's over, and the enemy comes in, in Micah 7 verse 8. And when we're at the bottom, we realize that he is underneath the bottom of our bottom, holding us up in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 27. And then the enemy in Isaiah 59, 19, he comes in like a flood, but the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against him. And that standard is our precious Savior who's leading us through this world system on our way to our promised land. And so when we see these things, that's the right hand in his arm. And notice what it says, the light of his countenance the light of his countenance, because you had a favor unto them. And that's grace. You are my king, O God. Command deliverances for Jacob and, of course, for for us and those types. Through you will we. Through you will. It's God's will. Christ, who is the fulfillment of the will of the Father. In Psalm 40 and verse 7 and 8. And in John 4, in verse 34, who finished it in John 19, in verse 30, completed it. God's will for you and I, we're complete because his son completed it. He rests in the the love of his son in Zephaniah 3, and verse 17. And he's taking us, he's qualified us With this light, in Colossians 1 and verse 12, he's transliterated us out of the kingdom of darkness, and this can even be experientially in the flesh. And he's brought us in to the kingdom, the ruling and reigning of the love of his Son. In one thirteen of Colossians. So this is what it says. Again, through you, through your will, we push down our enemies. Through your what? name. Whose name? Isaiah 45 and verse 23. And Philippians 2 and verses 9 through 11. Whose name? Is there any other name given unto heaven whereby we may be saved and continue to be delivered in Acts 4 and verse 12? Is there one mediator? Is there only one between God and men? In 1 Timothy 2, 5, yes. And that is Christ. Christ in the individual, by the way. And so... We, through your name, and the name speaks of the nature of Christ and all the work that he's accomplished, names. This goes into, this goes into the name there that he's given each one of us. We see that in Revelations 2 and verse 17, where he inscribes this name that had to do with how he and and I and what he brought us through, what he brought us out, what he continually brought us into. That goes into an eternal fellowship with him And so that name, and through your name, will, and and his name is the equal of his will, and, and that's Christ, we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow. I will not trust in my flesh. I will not do it. And that's what he's teaching us, two things. Not to trust in the flesh, and to trust in who he's made us to be in the love of his Son. And so, again, neither will I trust in my bow, neither will my sword, my own sword, save me. But you have saved us, delivered us from our enemies, and has put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long and praise your name forever. And that's going to go into the eternity, eternity. We're going to praise his name forever. That's brought out beautifully again in Revelations that fifth chapter and read those first ten verses and it's very very beautiful (laughs) there's some there was some weeping going on and God dealt with that and uh, what a beautiful thing in God we boast all the day long and then as we go down through let's look at Psalm 44 verse 18 our heart which is our mind Lab, right? Our, our mind is not turned back. To what? What's the only place? When we're in Christ positionally and experientially, if we're not experiencing Him, was the only place we can turn back to? It's the flesh. We are not turned back. Neither have our steps declined from your ways. You know what it says here in verse 14? You... Israel became a byword among the heathen. They were mocking them because they refused to submit to God who did so much for them. You can see that in the 78th Psalm. And again, all these Psalms and all the positive sense and even the teaching of the negative, all of it has to do with the Spirit of Christ. Every single bit of it. Now, we'll see negative things there that, that, that Christ, the Spirit of Christ, had to teach them. And like he has to teach us. And so, again, you've made us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. Did they ever know Christ? Did they shake their head at him when he was on the cross and mock him? Yes. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. He was a byword, mashal, in the Hebrew. M-A-S-H-A-L. Mashal. And it simply means, right, it is of the superiority and mental action, meaning they think they're more superior than God. That's the flesh. The enemy tries to convince us that we can be equal or even above the superiority of God. That was the lie that started in the garden in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. We see these things clearly. But our heart is not turned back in Psalm 44 and verse 18. Neither have our steps, neither have our goings turned back and declined from your ways. Though you have sore broken us in the place of dragons, all those enemies coming against us. We know who the dragon is in Revelation 12 and verse 4. That red dragon, that Satan in the type there. So much there in in those verses there. But has broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with a shadow of death. And what is death to those that are in Christ? It's a shadow. It's just a shadow. That's why in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1, the day of one's death is greater than the day of one's birth. Now we can groan about that the wrong way, but we can also groan the right way. Waiting to be clothed. And we can see that, waiting to be clothed in Philippians 1 and verse 20 and all the way down through there, to be put on our new glorified bodies to fit us to the place where we're going to be. And so, you've chastened us sore in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death. Did really God do all that? Or did they do it to themselves because of a lack of submission? And then they groan. Listen, if we, in verse 20, have forgotten the name of our God, everything that he's accomplished through Christ and all the work that he's finished of our God are stretched out our hands to a strange God. What's a strange God? You remember what's true about it? What's true about Christ in us is true about us and him in 1 John 5, 20. And everything outside of that is an idol in 1 John 5, in verse 21. My little children, keep yourselves. From idols. And what's behind an idol? We shared it last night. Behind every idol or everything that's in competition. First of all, an idol is that that competes constantly against Christ in us. That's the flesh, constant competition. We saw that again last night in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary one to another so that you can't even do the things that you would. In the flesh, I can't do the things that I would and I don't want them. But also in the Spirit, when I'm led of the Spirit, in Galatians 5 and verse 16, based upon the reality of the cross, that I've been crucified, in Galatians 5 and verse 24, keeps me. I can't do those things. And thank God, in that, but only in that place we can't. Then we groan the right way. And groaning the right way is, is never leaving the sense of grace. Never. Because Jesus, who was filled up with all that grace and truth is in his humanity in John 1 and verse 14, he groaned in John 11 verse 33. But the groaning wasn't about himself. And how many times do we groan about ourselves? And that's what they did here. And when we forget God, all our groaning is about ourselves. And when you forget God about others in prayer, in trusting prayer for them, then you begin to groan about them. You take on this false burden. You take on a false burden because none of us are a burden bearer, only him in 1 Peter 5, 7, which is brought out in Psalm 55 and verse 22. He's our burden bearer. Then when he is, we don't no longer groan for ourselves, but we groan with him in intercession and in prayer And sometimes that means going out to the backyard and plucking those leaves off. But my God, what a privilege. I mean, come on. And would we ever look back in negativity if God had led us to do that? Oh, my God. It's it's an absolute privilege. Because one thing we do need to remember is God grew that tree and he put all those leaves on it. He did. And thank God I can go there and pluck it and use it for others and not use it for the flesh. What a great reward. What a great reward. Christ himself. Gosh, what a privilege. And so, again, if we have forgotten the name of our God, now will God ever forget us? Nope. He'll never forget us. Never will. He never forgets us. Everything about us, everything about us has been finished in a plan before we were born. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, that that plan has to do with his thoughts and not our own. That's why we need to be patient so he can separate what's the thoughts of the flesh and the thoughts of the spirit that takes the things of Christ and shows us each and every step. That's why we said last night, if you have a planner and you plan out, don't do it until you consult the planner. Because all it will be is a plan of the flesh. It's all it's going to be for any of us. And then, ultimately, we're going to groan the wrong way. If we forgot the name of our God or stretch out our hands to a strange God, will not God search us out? Thank God. He's not satisfied to leave us in the lie of the flesh. He loves us so much. Even chastisement, as we've... As we've been taught in the scriptures, and you can see it in Proverbs 3, 10, 11, but you can read it. Start at verse one in Proverbs 3, and then the trust in the Lord. We need to trust in his chastening hand because it's love. All the way down from Proverbs 3, one through five, and then from five all the way down to 11 and 12. He chastens all those that are his and that he loves. And we see that in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, starting at the 4th verse and going all the way to the 29th verse in a beautiful progression. So, again, will not God search this out? How does he do it? If I don't come to hear the word in God's order in a local assembly, if I don't come, there's no separating. And I may even, listen, I may even be able to declare those scriptures, but unless I submit to God's order, it's all it is, is a declaration of knowing what the Word says, but it's in the flesh. It's of no value until it reaches the experience, until it does. So again, will not God search this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. Do you know what it says in Psalm 139, verse 2? He knows our thoughts from afar off. <laughs> Just think of it. Thoughts of the flesh? And the one thought that he has about us in our proper image, he knows every single thought from how far off (laughs) before he ever created us. He had a plan and that plan was his son for us individually. That's why you have a planner. I don't care what it is, it doesn't matter what it is. You better, you and I had better make Him. Uh, give ourselves, in Acts 6, verse 4, give ourselves in prayer to Him so that in that prayer independence, He can minister the Word and develop that plan, the eternal plan, and bring it into reality in our experience in time. And it's a beautiful thing to have Him, the planner involved in His plan in us experientially. For He knows the secrets of the heart. Yea, now listen to this, yea, for your sake are we killed all the day long? Notice that. That's Paul. He's again he's referring to it in Romans eight verse thirty six. We're a sheep for the slaughter, because what is he slaughtering in us? The flesh, experientially, because in Christ and our position in Him in Romans eight thirty seven. What are we? We're more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors through Him that loves us. And so again, for your sake. We are killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. And what is he doing? Awake. Why sleep you, O Lord? Yeah, the Lord sleeps. Sure he does. Have you ever read Psalm 121? The one that keeps Israel, the one that keeps us. He sleeps? Nope. Nope. Our God, our Christ, never sleeps in his intercession for us, knowing everything. You know who else doesn't sleep? The enemy. He never takes a second off never takes a single second off and so for 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 christ's sake we're slaughtered all the day long we're counted as sheep for the slaughter awake why do you sleep arise cast us off cast us not off forever will he ever do that you know he said he said to israel in isaiah 54 and verse 7 for a little while i've forsaken you Now, where would we experience, as those that are in Christ, where would we ever experience being forsaken of God? And why would we groan as a result of that? Because that's the place of the flesh. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. We groan in that sense. Groan, but he's taking us out, separating that, again, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, and bringing us into a proper place and being one with him in John 17, 11, 21, and 22, so that we can actually groan with our precious Savior. What a privilege. I mean, it's just amazing. And that goes into our prayer life, by the way. Oh, how he groans. Can you picture our Lord and Savior? All those that are there now, or they're safe and secure Not only positionally, but experientially. But how does he groan for us? Longing for us to experience everything that he's accomplished for us as individuals. And what a tremendous thing that is. And it's for his sake. God is doing this. Even when we live in the flesh, it's for Christ's sake that he, that he slaughters it experientially. He has to, and what is the slaughter? He has to bring us to the place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness. Not only in ourselves, but listen, in anyone else. In anyone else. Because our expectation is from him. In Psalm 62 again in verse 5. As we begin to wrap it up. We're killed all the day long, awake. Wherefore hide you your face? Would God ever hide his face to us? About who we are in Christ? Never. But where is his face hidden? Where is his face hidden? He hides himself from the pride of men. I believe it's Isaiah 45 and verse 5. If not, it may be 15. (laughs) He hides himself from man, and that's the pride of the flesh. We don't know where we are. We don't know how to walk in the darkness until the light comes on. And so... Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? Has God ever forgotten anything about us that he didn't accomplish in Christ? You know, even when he disciplined Israel constantly, in Isaiah 63 and verse 9, it says, In all their affliction he was afflicted. What, you know what that beautiful picture is? It's like a father, a loving father, and he has his son that he loves over his lap, and he's spanking him and disciplining him. And as the son cries, the father cries with him. That's Isaiah 63 and verse 9. And again, no, verse 25. For our soul is bowed down to the dust. What's the dust? It's the physical body where all those lust patterns are. That's what we're left with when we don't have him, his love, and everything about who he is in us and who we are in him, we go to something else. And then we begin to cry out because we've lost our sense of grace. We begin to harden ourselves. And you can see that in in Hebrews 3 and I'll just read that just briefly again these are the things and he was Paul again was teaching those Hebrew Christians that were in Christ to not go back to the law because all it would bring out was the works of the flesh and so when we see that and you can see this in Psalm 95 read Psalm 95 read Psalm 78 read Psalm 89 <laughs> it's the Mictum psalm it's a golden psalm Beautiful psalms. But in here, in Hebrews 3 and verse 1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, that's us, who we are in Christ. He's speaking to these Jews. This is who you were. This is, your Jewishness has, not, that's gone. You're all one in Christ. The wall's been broken down in Ephesians 2 and verse 14 and 15. There's no separation between the Jew and the Gentile in Christ. That's why we don't have a Judeo-Christian heritage. That's why we don't. We're all one in Christ. We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3 and verse 26. We don't all have the proper place and function in 3.28 of Galatians, but we certainly are one in Him. So wherefore... In Hebrews 3 and verse 1, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Really should be confession, by the way, not profession. Our confession, Christ Jesus. Paul wrote this. There's so many others. Look it. He's the only one. If you study the preponderance of the scriptures and not that we know anything unless God shows it unto us. He's the theologian. He's the scholar. He points it out. He makes it real to us. No one but, but the Apostle Paul wrote this. The reason his name is not there is because he's speaking highly of Christ. And many of those Jews, even born again, rejected Paul. He just brought out, and even in his own life, he said all these things in Hebrews where we are, Christ is better and we're better off in Him, and that's the key word in Hebrews, better And and no wonder, when we're in Christ, we're better off. And no wonder in Ephesians, it's it's the height, the highest height of the heavenly calling. And so he's not mentioning him. Consider, don't consider me, he's saying. Oh, if we only preached, it would only be just Christ. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him, that made him. Notice that? That made him. God made Jesus humanity. Not just for himself, but first and foremost, but for us. Did you know that? (laughs) Perfect identification. He made him. As also Moses was faithful in all his house as a type. For this, this, and man's italicized, and I almost, you know, you know how it says in Luke 1 and verse 35, and I understand uh, those men, you know, back and back, uh, you know, those 70 that were translating the Bible into the King James Version, where he had a little control. That's why there's some issues in it. <laughs> when God's not in control, things get, slip in even to the Word. But thank God we can glean from Him only through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when it says, it says in Luke one thirty-five that holy thing, you know, and I, I crossed that out because it's not a thing. It's like... That holy one, that's what I put there. There's only one that's holy. And when we submit to him, obviously through sanctification, which is positional, but then it's progressive in our growth, we experience that holiness, but none in the flesh. Never mind that false teaching of the holiness movement that we received all of Christ's holiness. I think that's going to be part of either image or place if God... When God does this, completion of, of those particular booklets as God would have it. But this one, I would put even here, man's italicized. For this one was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who has built the house, built the house, has more, what, honor than the house. For every house is built by some, someone. But he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house, was he? Was Moses always faithful? But did God see him that way in Christ? Mm-hmm. As a servant, for a testimony, as a witness of those things which were to be spoken after. And God speaking unto us after by going back and, and showing us these things. And, and how he dealt with his people. But Christ, as son over his own house, which we are which we are in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. We were bought with a price. We're not our own. Our spirit, soul, and body are his. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. There's no question about that. But as Christ the Son over his own house, whose house are we? We're the church. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, and that's experience, never position, Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit said today, if you will hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Hearkening back to Psalm 95 and all through from Exodus through the types all the way up to where we are to teach us. Harden not your hearts. You know, that man that was given that one talent, all the others reproduced it because they submitted to the Word and allowed Christ to do in them what they couldn't do in their vessel. And see, we see this clearly, but this one man had one talent and he went and he hid it in the ground because he said, you're a hard master. In Luke 19, 21, he said, you're hard, you're austere, you're very hard. Who's hard? God gave us his only son. God, his son, put on humanity and went through what we can't even imagine. And he went through it in such a... A tremendous way so as we wrap this up this morning he said today today listen today he has counsel for us right now we can't live on yesterday's counsel we need it every single. we need it every single moment of every day today if you will hear his voice submit harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your father's your spiritual father's he's telling the Hebrews say you're in Christ now but you want to look back and see what happens to those that refused God in Hosea 4 and verse 6. They were destroyed through a lack of knowledge. It's not that they didn't know it, they didn't submit to it. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works 40 years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation. Was he groaning? Is God groaning? I was grieved. Do we groan for others properly in prayer and trust in God? Yes with that generation and said they always do err in their heart for they have not known my ways so I swore in my wrath you know and not is there any wrath for us in Christ In first Thessalonians 1 10 and 5 9 and John 3 and verse 36 absolutely none they will not enter into my rest where's Christ where's God resting he's resting in the Son. where do we rest in Christ and what do we experience a loving father Take heed, brethren, that's us, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another, edify and exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, in our will, hardened, stubborn, through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are partakers, we are made partakers of Christ if we hold fast our confidence steadfast unto the end. And so, so much that we have to teach us how to groan properly and and knowing the difference and not losing the sense of grace. So, Father, thank you for your precious word this morning. And thank you that, that this can be recorded in each of us and we can record these things on the website because you and your counsel and your love, you give us so much more. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.